Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I'm not really sure how to start this because on the one hand, it really was the greatest weekend in NFL history. I mean, it was, bar none. That crappy wild card weekend was immediately replaced by four amazing games, each one coming down to the very last play. So I could come in here and get down like that, party like that, because it was incredible. Like a total adrenaline rush from the first game to the last. Three games coming down to a walk-off field goal. One game ending in a walk-off TD. Tom Brady getting bounced. Aaron Rodgers getting bounced. Both number one seeds getting bounced. I mean, an insane weekend. So I could get down like that. I could party like that. And again, I don't play favorites and it's not personal to me. Having said that, I'm thinking of Buffalo right now because this is a huge Buffalo house. This is an enormous Bills Mafia house. And it would feel pretty brutal to come in here and not acknowledge that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs just stabbed Josh Allen, the Bills, and really all of Western New York right in the heart. So I've got to take a moment and ask, Buffalo, how you living? Buffalo, are you living? Now, that will not be the last time I ask you that question. In fact, I might ask you that question Every single day between now and the time they put me in the ground. Because frankly, I'm not sure that one goes away. Ever. In the meantime, you imagine having to roll out this AM and go to work after a night like that? It's got to be excruciating. In fact, are any of you actually at work after a night like that? Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I feel your pain because as much as I love you all and respect you all, I haven't lived with that pain for decades. I'm just saying I hate that you have that pain. That must have felt like losing four Super Bowls all in a single night or in 13 seconds. I mean, I told you on Friday. I said it Friday and I meant it. It's all right there for you. And it was. It was all right there for you. It was all right there. 13 seconds away. 13 seconds away from beating Kansas City in Kansas City. 13 seconds away from having the mother of all tailgates before the AFC Championship game in Buffalo. 13 seconds away from me coming to your house this weekend. And I'm not sure the last time I ever wanted anything worse than I wanted that. Nothing against KC, which I'll get to in a minute. But 13 seconds, mentally, I was halfway to Buffalo already. And then the worst 13 seconds you have ever witnessed played out. I mean, what's tougher to hear right now? 13 seconds or squib kick? Because I'm guessing both of those kept you up last night. You know, with that squib kick, I would imagine the argument from the Bills coaching staff was Kansas City would have immediately downed it, possibly in better field position, and maybe a second would have run off the clock. I mean, I guess I get that. Sort of, kind of. Not really. But when there are 13 seconds left, taking any time off the clock is better than none. 
but Buffalo didn't do that. They opted to just kick it into the end zone, and that gave Mahomes 13 seconds. And those turned out to be the worst 13 seconds in modern Bills history. Because just before that, the Mafia was having their best moment ever. Gabriel Davis. Gabriel freaking Davis turned into Jerry Rice that night. Right in front of all of our eyes. And especially when he caught this frozen rope from Josh Allen. Shotgun snap Allen. Chiefs rush four. Pocket holds. Allen throws over the middle. Caught. Touchdown. Untouched. Into the end zone. It's Gabriel Davis. One beyond the hat trick. He's got four touchdown catches tonight. And the Bills take a 35-33 lead with 13 seconds to play. Westwood won on the call. And how about a word for Josh Allen? Because that was a macho performance. Macho as hell. This dude's a man. I mean, this dude is a man. 27 to 37, 329 yards, four touchdowns through the air, 11 carries for 68 yards on the ground, too. Like, if you're KC's defense, I'm not sure what scared you more. This guy dropping back to pass or him dropping his shoulder. When he ran, because this dude was straight trucking fools. It's not bubbling suckers every time he took off. I have never seen a quarterback run downhill with the authority and violence that Josh Allen does. So if you were still doubting whether or not Josh Allen is elite, one, you're a moron. Two, those doubts are gone now because this guy was an absolute stud. On the road, moron. On the road, in an incredibly hostile environment, this guy just kept coming back. A bleeping vampire. You cannot kill this guy. In the final two minutes, the Bills went from trailing by five to leading by three to trailing by four to leading by three. And Bills fan, admit it. You thought that game was over. You didn't think that game was over. You knew that game was over. I mean, I know it's never over when Patrick Mahomes is on the other side, but 13 seconds? That's time for what? One play? Maybe two? Yeah, try three. Mahomes to Tyreek Hill for 19. Mahomes to Travis Kelsey for 25. Harrison Butker for this. 49-yarder to keep the season alive. Good snap. Good hold. The kick is on its way for Butker. It is good! We're going to overtime! Harrison Butker with a 49-yard field goal. More football. More divisional weekend. No! 13 seconds. Mahomes brings Kansas City back from the brink. In 13 seconds. You want to know how little time that is. Dak Prescott's quarterback draw took 14 seconds. Mike McCarthy and his crew managed to get one playoff in 14 seconds. Mahomes went 44 yards and still had time for the game-winning field goal in less time than that. Dak Prescott couldn't run, get down, and get another playoff in the time that Patrick Mahomes carved the Bills' heart out, showed it to them, and made them eat it. I mean, I have seen some gutting losses. I have seen some bad beats in my day. But I'm going to say that that was the worst ever. When you know how badly Buffalo wants this, how much they've suffered over the years, this is the absolute worst ever. Because last night was their night until Mahomes ripped it from them. I do have a quick question. How the hell was Travis Kelsey getting that wide ass open on that play in that moment? 
How is that possible? You don't need to protect the sideline if Kansas City's got timeouts, right? I understand that Buffalo is physically and mentally exhausted. Yeah, I understand that, and it showed. And that's going to hurt for a long, long time. And the moment that Butker made that field goal, you knew that game was going to come down to a single coin flip in overtime, right? Because that's how it was going to be. Whoever won the coin flip was going to win that game, which is why the overtime rule sucks. Truly terrible. Rips all the drama out of the building, just like it did when Kansas City lost the coin flip to the Patriots a few years back. It's a terrible rule. It's a terrible format. And yes... I know all Buffalo had to do was make one stop, make one play, get the hell off the field in the final 13 seconds with the NFL's top-ranked defense, and then we're not having this conversation. Then they would have won, except they didn't. And that's not the point of overtime. I mean, yes, there are plenty of reasons why Buffalo lost that game, but it should not have come down to flipping a coin. I mean, how many people still use actual coins? How many people still actually use coins? Yet we're deciding football games, playoff games with coins. A game that great, a game where two quarterbacks are going at it like that, deserves both quarterbacks touching the ball in overtime. This is not a fresh take. This is not a new take. I've been saying this for years. It's a horrible format, and it jammed Buffalo last night. But... It would have jammed KC if the coin landed the other way. What I'm saying is whoever won that coin toss was going to win that game. So it didn't just jam Buffalo. It jammed everybody watching. We deserved another look at Josh Allen. We deserved to see if he could match Patrick Mahomes again because he had every single time throughout that entire game. He answered the bell time and time again. But, but... Let's not make this about Buffalo getting jammed by the rules. You got to show Patrick Mahomes some love. He threw for, it's incredible. He threw for 188 yards and two touchdowns after the two minute warning. My man had an entire game after. Thank you, Alvin. As always. That's why you get to come to Radio Row, Alvin, because of stuff like that. My man had an, enti- <laughs> had an entire game after the two minute warning. So as great as you think this guy is, he's even better. I mean, that's just a fact. And the moment he got the ball in his hands in overtime, you knew that game was over. Buffalo's defense was gassed, understandably so. And Mahomes was just gassing up. Eight plays, six for six passing. The ball never touched the ground until this. Mahomes looks to throw it. Pump faking right side. He wants it. A comeback cut. It is caught by Kelsey. Touchdown, Kansas City. One of the greatest duos in the history of the National Football League. Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey on a push fade comeback. And the Chiefs have won this incredible divisional playoff game in overtime. That's all true. That is one of the greatest combinations ever. In Mafia, I can't lie. Cannot lie. I don't root. I'm objective. But I was geeked. And I was already halfway to your house mentally with those 13 ticks left on the clock. But I should have known better. We all should have known better. Because Patrick Mahomes really is the very epitome of not dead, can't quit. Not dead, can't quit. And now the Bills have to ask themselves some really difficult questions. Such as... How the hell did we let that happen? 
when we spent the entire offseason and regular season preparing for this very moment after what happened last season. The entire offseason, the entire regular season, preparing and ensuring that this very thing did not happen. And it did. Not only is that going to leave a mark, that's never going away. Hey, let me ask you something. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login info for all the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all your entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So, you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the very best part, there is no annual contract. So, get rid of the clutter and the confusion, and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. I use it, I love it. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device is required. Content varies by package. He is Darius Butler. Darius, what's going on? How are you? Hey, man. I, I'm great. I'm still still kind of got a high from uh, this whole weekend of football, especially with how it ended uh, last night, man. I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on again, Joe. Darius, good to have you on. Appreciate you. And you actually started right where I wanted to go. I mean, normally I can't wait to get your takes as a former player and an analyst, but purely as a fan and somebody who loves the game, I'm curious, what kind of emotions were you feeling last night during that Buffalo-KC game? I'm, it, it, you saw, I mean, obviously, clearly the two, when I, the two best quarterbacks playing, I think, in my opinion, right now um, in the playoffs. And, and it was like whoever had the ball last, that's what it's going to come down to. Um, and it was, it was just great. It, it lived up to all the hype. You know, it was the last game of the weekend for a reason. Uh, saved it for Sunday night. And uh, it was just a lot of points, great offenses, and it's a nightmare as a, as a play call, as a defensive player, playing against these weapons. And obviously, you had great coaches on both sides as well, as far as the coordinators go, the head coaches go. Um, it was everything you could want as a, as a fan of the NFL all weekend. And this this uh, that game just um, was a kind of a culmination of it all. Darius Butler joining us. Let me follow up on something you just said. I mean, Tom Brady argue with the GOAT, Aaron Rodgers is likely to win his second straight MVP. But in your mind, are Mahomes and Allen the two best quarterbacks in the league right now? I mean, right, I think going into next season, uh, you know, Brady, obviously he'll be thinking about his future. He'll be 45 next year, but he's a, he's a mutant. You know, he just led the league in, in multiple categories, will either win the MVP or be the runner-up. And then Aaron Rodgers, uh, he will probably win the MVP but, you know, he just lost at home. But, um, you know, going to next year, I don't know. I think going to next year, I would have to rank these two guys up top, just what can they, what they can do with their arm. They can make any throws, any angles. Um, they can extend the plays. You can see in these kind of got-to-have-it games, uh, that's when Mahomes really brings his legs out. He kind of saves it for the playoffs when there's no next week. Uh, you saw early on he was scrambling. And Josh Allen, he's, I think, the best dual-threat quarterback right now in the league, can make every throw, but you don't want to see him in the open field as well. So um, both have great, great play callers as well and great weapons around them. So um, they, they're set and primed to be uh, the best quarterbacks, I think, going forward. I saw a lot of people saying this is the next Peyton and Tom matchup in the league right now. I mean, it, the, the quarterbacks, 
and the NFL, they, they are in good hands going forward. Well, I agree with you. Darius Butler is joining us. All right, so what about Mahomes? I, I think you're right. Like, at go time or when the postseason kicks around, I mean, there was much made about his evolution, his willingness to take what the defense gives him. All true, but he looked like the guy again last night, especially if you're playing defense against Mahomes and he's on his own 25 with 13 seconds to go. Darius, what's your mindset? What are you focused on making sure you do if you're a defense? Well, that, that's one of the situations where, okay, now you don't have to worry about his legs, right? I mean, it's not the Cowboys. You don't have to worry about him scrambling and running in this situation, even with the timeouts. But what you do have to worry about is Tyree Hill and Travis Kelsey. Like, you got to know where those guys are. Um, I think the Bills, they just played it too soft. You know, they didn't execute. Uh, they had 13 seconds, uh, three timeouts. But you gave up a 20-yard pass to uh, Hill on the first play. And then the second play, you, you call cover two, but you get no reroute on Kelsey. Nobody's even close to him. He runs up and gets another 25. It was just perfect. It was like on air uh, for the Kansas City offense. So I think, uh, well, no, I think I know the Bills just dropped the ball on, on defense. You know, 13 seconds, I don't care how many timeouts you have on the minus 25-yard line, you can't give it up that easy. If they make a great throw and catch in the coverage, then they make a play. But you can't play it that soft. You can't give it up that easy. A lot of people complaining about overtime rules and all. Oh, when Josh Allen to get another shot, that was a shot right there. It's a three-phase game: offense, defense, and we know now more than ever special teams. Um, so it, it, you dropped the ball even before the 13 seconds. The special teams on a kickoff, you should have kicked the dribble and, and run off a couple more seconds there. So um, I think uh, two phases right there dropped the ball, and then Kansas City got the ball last, and uh, they, they made it count. Darius Butler, my guest, you answered my next question. I was going to ask you what you make of their decision not to go with a squib kick, but you just addressed that. I agree with you, too. you got to squib that, right? You have to squib that. I mean, even if they down it and there's one or two seconds off the clock, it's still one or two seconds off the clock. You have to run some clock, right? You you have to. And and as a defense, um, you know know the playbook is is wide open for the offense. It's not like that Dallas – um, San, San Fran ending where, you know, Dallas didn't have any timeouts and San Fran was just protecting the sidelines. Everybody's standing along the sidelines. You know the offense, they can run a player in the middle of the field. They can run a play anywhere. So you want to take – they have three timeouts. You want to take as many seconds off the clock as possible. So um, I, don't, I don't know why that decision wasn't made. Uh, I know these conversations happen in these, uh, in, in these teams, in these meeting rooms. But, um, you know, the ball was dropped and uh, Kansas City took advantage and they're going there – Fourth straight AFC championship. Darius Butler is joining us. Darius, if you're a member of that Buffalo defense, how do you go about processing that loss? I mean, is that a bad few days? Is that a bad few weeks? Is that a bad few months? Or maybe is that something you never, ever fully get over? I mean, playoff losses, I mean, they're so they're so final. Like, you don't get over them. And that's the only time um, that that team, you know, will be in that situation. You know, next year to be a new team. Uh, last year, it was a different team when they lost in the AFC Championship. You know, you saw how Diggs stood out there last year. You don't get over those moments, really, uh, until you get there again and then you get over that hump. And I think the Bills, you know, they'll be right in this position again next year. Obviously, the, you know, the quarterback stays healthy. But, uh, you, you know, this one this one sizzles a little bit. This one marinates in your spirit a little bit. And uh, hopefully you learn from it. And uh, you're a better player. You're a better coach. Uh, going forward and as a fan it, it, it's just a heartbreak because you just have to sit and wait um, until next year especially if you're a Bills fan when they've had so much heartbreak oh, over the years Darius if you're a DB man how scary is Tyreek Hill when he's got the ball in his hands in the open field and he has those angles that he takes when he's running never mind all that speed 
he's a game changer, man. I, I just compare him. When I watch him play, he kind of has that Steph Curry effect to the football field. Like, you know, things are just different when Steph, as soon as he crosses, you know, half court, you got to respect him pulling up the three. And with, with Hill, it's not like he's a one-trick pony. You know, you have fast guys, guys playing this league that are as fast as him. But I've never seen a combination with someone that quick, that fast, you know, can run the route tree. He can actually go up and make contested catches at the point of attack. And then what he does to angles, like he just completely destroys angles. So it's, it's, it's crazy, man, when you play for, you know, however many weeks, 16, 17 weeks, and in that one week you play this guy where, you know, those angles, the, the, the math is just not mathing. So uh, he's throwing up the deuces at the 15-yard line. It's different. And uh, every down you have to be aware of where number 10 is, you know, on the field. And then, you know, having another weapon like Kelsey – that, that can operate doesn't help that 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 problem at all. But uh, um, Hill, I mean, he he he's special. Yeah, I gotta say, Darius. Number one, I've never seen a guy take those angles. And number two, in fact, in terms of him throwing up deuces, and I'm not looking to pile on the mafia because I love the Bills, I really do, and I feel terrible that they have to deal with this. That said, I don't know what's funnier than him not only throwing up that deuce, but throwing up that deuce 15 yards before the end zone with a guy, a quality player, still standing right in front of him. Does that make yeah, you laugh? Yeah. Once again, like, he just sees those. When I saw him throw, I'm like, oh, this is a little, you know, I thought it was a little early, but I, I guess he kind of saw this riff, like, okay, that, I see a 50s jersey. That, it's 50, like, that dude's right. not catching me. And, and he, you know, he, he's that he's, he's that special. He's one of a kind. It's a reason why, you know, his moniker is a cheetah. And uh, we saw it right there. We, growing up, Dion was my favorite player, and he would pick off a, a quarterback and start high-stepping at the 40-yard line when they're still chasing. So I guess when you're that fast, you just know. <laughs> I, I hate to say it for the guy wearing the 50s jersey because Milano's a player, but I think that's funny, too. He saw a guy with a 50s jersey, so he knew he was good. You know, as long as we're talking about watching things from a DB standpoint, what's going through your head when you see Cooper Cup getting as wide-ass open as he was mm. on that final play before the field goal? You know, that's tough. Me and uh, me and AB, we were talking about it on, on the show this morning. We actually had, we had Jimmy Ward on too. Obviously, they'll, they'll, you know, Forty Niners say nice. he will be matching up with Cooper Cup a lot in the NFC Championship. And he's one of those guys where, as a defensive coordinator, you're in a situation. So they're in a situation where they're trying to keep them out of field goal range. So the play call, you know, it kind of has to be kind of aggressive. And Todd Bowles, you know, he's led the league all year in sending pressure. You know, you, I don't like the fact that you send your nickel because, you know, Murphy Bunton, that's your guy. I played slot defender. I played nickel for a while, and I want to be on Cooper Cup in that situation. This is a guy I've been watching the film on all week. I've been matching up with him all day. You know, I would switch and give that blitz to Winfield and put me in coverage. But, you know, that's, that's not how it unfolds. As players, you got to make plays. And that's why Cooper Cup is, I think, the offensive player of the year this year. Should be the MVP, honestly. I mean, every game he has that type of impact. He moves around the slot outside. He blocks in the run game. And Matt Stafford, you know, stepping up, finding him in that critical situation. Like, he's done really all, all career, even when he was in, you know, the, the, the poop hole Detroit that was holding him back. But uh, it, it was good for Stafford. It was great for Cup. And uh, it's good to see Stafford kind of rewriting his narrative. And, and, and Cup, you know, he, you know, continue to be special. I'm looking forward to watching him play in the uh, NFC Championship. Darius Butler is joining us. I'm glad you mentioned the Stafford narrative, so then I can jump ahead to the Jimmy G narrative. Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy, Darius, who takes a lot of heat, a lot of heat, but he finds a way oh, to yeah. get it done somehow, right? What do you make of all the heat that he takes? Man, <laughs> you know, I put him on my uh, quarterback wish list. I, I threw up one yesterday. I had Andrew Luck on there, which a lot of people have given up. I haven't given up hope yet. 
Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and at the bottom I tried to sneak Jimmy G in. And a lot of people, I got a lot of heat, like, oh, no, we might as well keep Flint. That's not an upgrade. And I'm like, hey, this guy wins. He wins in the playoff game. You look at the stat sheet, it's not pretty. But when you need uh, your team to get in a position to win the game, I would take him over a lot of guys. It's kind of a little similar to what Brady was early on in his career. Great defense, good running game, and he's just making the right plays in the right situation. So he's shown to me that he's a winner. Uh, that doesn't happen by accident. When he wasn't in there, you know, the 49ers had a terrible, a bad season. They picked number two overall and drafted Nick Bosa. So he shows his value, and I think you'll see it again in this NFC Championship. But uh, he takes a lot of heat, and uh, obviously you got a great play caller with Shanahan. you got a great defense. And you got a great running game as well, so people are going to point at that and say that's the reason he wins. But um, when you watch the film, even that game uh, this past weekend, in the second half, he made more plays than Aaron Rodgers did. He made more plays that his team needed early on in the game. The guys were just dropping the ball. He was Kittle dropped the touchdown. Jennings dropped the third down. So if you watch the film, I, I can think I think you can see his worth is just about staying uh, healthy for Jimmy G. But uh, I'm excited to watch him play and you know control his narrative uh, in this playoffs as well. I hope thing is, you're not wrong. I mean, think about this. Brady is at home. Belichick is at home. Aaron Rodgers is at home. Jimmy G is still out there. Darius, before yep. you go, what about Joe Burrow? Man, this guy's got Ooh. so much swagger, so much attitude, so much confidence. How contagious is it, and how much does his team feed off it, and how do you think he'll show up this weekend in KC? I mean, it's very, it's very contagious, and I, I, I love hearing him. You know, I love watching him play, and I probably love hearing him talk a little bit more because of the confidence. Uh, the moment's never too big. Obviously, playing that position, you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the most important player on the team. So when you're a veteran player, you see a guy like that who's so cool under pressure, uh, who's always going to – you know, he, this dude got sacked nine times. You know, Tennessee tied a playoff record, and he still threw for 330, 340, and then made a play late in the game to set up the field goal. So that's the guy you want leading the charge. Uh, happy for Cincinnati. You know, you, you go and win your first playoff game in 31 years, and then the following week, you win your first role playoff game in franchise history. And now you had the AFC Championship matched up again with Patrick Mahomes, who you beat a few weeks ago. So I think all the confidence in the world is in that locker room. And I'm excited to see him on the big stage again. I think, um, you know, uh, he'll, he'll be kind of a consensus top five guy going into next year as well. Hey, Darius, I got about a minute. Have you seen the early lines? Are you leaning either way yet based on the early lines? Or are you going to wait? You know, I'm away a little bit, but, you know, the 49ers, I think they're three-and-a-half-point underdogs. And this whole past weekend was an underdog weekend. Uh, all It would have been a 4-0 and clean sweep if the Bills could have figured out a way to win that game. But it was 3-1 and for the dogs. And now you got San Fran and the Bengals as underdogs in this one. Uh, I don't know. Big spread, uh, seven points right now in the Chiefs' favor. I don't know which way I'm going yet, but the NFC Championship, I think I'm leaning towards the Niners. They just have the Rams number for some reason. And uh, after speaking with Jimmy today, um, I think I, li- I think I like the Niners in that NFC Championship. I'll wait and see a little more in that AFC Championship. No, I hear you. They have had the Rams number, and that hook is pretty nice, that three and a half. You get that hook. Yep. So we'll see. Oh, yeah. He is a nine-year vet. He is creator and host of the Everything DB Show on YouTube, which is awesome. He's co-host of the Man to Man podcast. Also awesome. Darius, appreciate you. Great job as always. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for having me again, Jim. 
And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all the cashback that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Then you got the Rams. Then you got the Rams. Right? Let me just jump into this for a moment just to set another topic up for you. Like, I hate to say it, Bills fans, but if you think this is going to be one rough day or one rough week, I I do want to say it's not. You're going to be seeing highlights from that game for the rest of your life. Highlights that are going to be played from now until there are no more highlights. Like, those highlights will never not be there. Ask Scott Norwood. So you better come up with a strategy right now for how you're going to deal with this because they're going to be there for the rest of your life. Why do I reiterate that going to the Rams game? Because I'm going to say the same thing about the Tampa Bay players. Coaches and fans are going to have to find a way to avoid seeing highlights of Cooper Cup running right through their secondary and absolutely torching Sean Murphy bunting on the play before that. Every question that you have about Travis Kelsey being wide open on that play that set up the field goal in regulation has got to be asked about Cooper Cup as well, getting as open as he did on consecutive plays to set up Ellie's game winner. Who lets that guy, that guy, get that open in that situation? Darius Butler, again, going back to him. He said Cooper Cup's the MVP. Not, not the best receiver in the game, the MVP of the league. So how do you let that guy... Get that open in that situation. Yeah, I don't know. Never mind covering this guy. Never mind hitting this guy in the mouth coming off the line. Maybe you just freaking tackle him. When he comes off the line, maybe you have two guys tackle him. I mean, seriously. Do anything and everything to make absolutely certain that the best receiver in football does not get to touch the ball. That of all guys on that team, he's not the one to beat you. But they didn't. And, of course, he made them pay. There was the 20-yard completion on second and long, and then there was this. Stafford straight drop back, pressure off the edge. Deep ball, middle of the field. Cup is open. It's pulled in inside the 20 by Cup and down near the 10. Clock is moving, 18 seconds. Rams trying to get up there to spike it. They can't stop the clock with a timeout. Stafford spikes the ball with four seconds left, and here comes the field goal team for a 20-yard try that will win the game in regulation. Westwood won. I'm not sure if that was clutch and nasty as hell from the Rams or dumb as hell from the Bucks. What do you say we call it a tie? And that's not me talking. That's the Bucks radio announcers talking. Stafford deep throws a deep ball downfield. Got Cooper Cup in the area. It's caught inside the 15-yard line. What in the world are the Buccaneers doing? Uh, they were blitzing up the middle, and Dominican Sue did a great job of coming up the middle and blasted Stafford, but Cooper Cup just ran right by him. That is the Bucks' own announcers asking, what in the world are the Buccaneers doing? What in the world are the Buccaneers doing? Bruce Arians said that they called an all-out blitz, but not everybody blitzed. Look, I'm no Buddy Ryan, but that's not good. You might want to have everybody on the same page for the most important play of the year. You can't have a communication breakdown at that point of the game. You practice all year for months to deal with situations like that. 
especially if you're the defending champs. You practice and you prep it all specifically so you don't blow it in that situation. And then you go out and you blow it in that situation. And Tampa Bay really did blow that because L.A. damn near blew it multiple times. The Rams tried to give that game away any way they could over and over again. Even Cooper Cup fumbling for the first time ever. Cam Akers fumbling not once but twice. The snap that went whizzing right past Matthew Stafford. The missed field goal. The defense that suddenly fell apart at the worst time. The stop that they could not get on fourth and short that would have ended the game. Check out the Bucks announcers on that one. Feed the ball to Fournette. Tries to run. He's got a first down. 10-5-3-2-1. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Touchdown, Buccaneers. Buccaneers, a point away from a tie. Fire the cannons. Fire them. <laughs> My man went from fire the cannons, fire them, to what in the world are the Buccaneers doing? In a matter of moments, you want to talk about a roller coaster. But then again, that whole game was, right? L.A. came out to start the game. They punched Tampa Bay in the face repeatedly. Tom Brady couldn't do jack. Von Miller was Von Miller again. Aaron Donald. Just about everybody who ever rushed the passer was in Brady's face and his head. This guy was complaining to the refs, getting flagged for it for the first time in his career. Meanwhile, Stafford was a stone-cold killer in the first half. He was picking the Bucks apart to the point where even Levante David completely lost it on this play. It's third and 19 now from the L.A. 31. Snap to Stafford. Seven-step, deep drop. Climbs the pocket, throws a deep ball far side. Cup wide open, caught at the 30. Running right to the 20, back to the left 10. Five, touchdown! How did Cooper Cup get that alone downfield? A 70-yard touchdown pass. Again, I'm not sure anybody's doing it any better than this guy right now, but how do you keep losing track of that guy? I understand why David would smash his helmet on the ground after that and pick up a 15-yard penalty. But again, how do you let Cooper Cup get that open in that situation? And if that made David smash his bonnet, I'd hate to see what he did after Cup beat them twice in the final minute, especially when David himself appeared to be out of position on that final play. But again, early on, it was clear the Bucks were imploding. They couldn't execute. They were getting picked apart. They were losing their cool. They were not playing like the defending champs, looking to go back-to-back, playing at home. And I'm not going to get into this sudden story now about TB44 retiring or not. That's a story for another day. But that's a story, and funny to me, that that just came, came out of nowhere in the last few days. Like, what is that all about? What kind of attention is this guy looking for now? But let's not let that distract us from the fact that this guy, in fact, had another great look at another Super Bowl and squandered it. Then again, the Rams nearly squandered it right back to them because that game was over. It had been over for a long time, except L.A. refused to end it. I don't know how much credit Brady gets for that comeback, but a ton of that was not on him. It was on L.A. And in the final two minutes, they were reeling They had blown their lead. They had chance after chance to put the game away, and they couldn't do it. And suddenly, everybody was asking again, can Matthew Stafford win in the playoffs? Come to find out, yes. Yes, he can. He can make clutch throws in the playoffs. He showed it yesterday, 28-38, 366 yards, and two TDs, and that pass to Cup. Cup had this to say. Truly, what he was able to do on that play against the zero, where he knows he's hot, being able to stand in there, stare down the barrel, you know, put the ball up, and, and where he put that, it's just an incredible play by, by Matthew. 
He's right. That pass right there in that situation was the kind of pass that Stafford haters love to say, can't do it. That guy doesn't have it in him. That guy can't do it. That guy can't make that play or that pass. He can't make that clutch pass in a critical moment in a playoff game. And the guy did. He did stand in. He did stand down the barrel, and he executed it perfectly. And that bet that the Rams made on Stafford, they're 60 minutes away from cashing it in. That trade's looking pretty damn good right about now. And so is the acquisition of Vaughn Miller and OBJ and Jalen Ramsey. Yes, they blew a 27-3 lead. Yes, they're going to have to be a hell of a lot more buttoned up if they're going to beat the Niners this weekend. But the fact is, they didn't choke that game away. They finished. They made plays when they had to. And the fact is, in a league where not every team tries to actually win, these guys have been taking enormous swings. And now we're 60 minutes away from those swings paying off. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? He is Isaac Bruce. Isaac, great to have you on. How are you? I'm good, Jim, man. How you doing, man? Good, good, dude. Great to have you on, Isaac. Thanks so much for doing this. Let me ask you, before yesterday's game, you were saying that you expected the Rams to beat the Buccaneers. I'm curious, how much of that was with your head? How much of that was with your heart? What did you see in the Rams that made you feel like they could go out on the road and handle their business? Well, uh, more was about my heart. Um, I'd say about 30% of it was, you know, if I was the betting man, it had to do with my pocket. I just knew that the, uh, the formula that we had defensively uh, is everything that you need, all the ingredients that you need to beat a team that's, that's led by Tom Brady and the way that they play. Um, and they did just that. I think they pressured him all game long. Uh, you know, he started the game with four incompletes. And just to have these guys, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, harass him as much as they did yesterday uh we're able to pick him off because of the pressure um it bowled well that's what i really went into that game thinking what 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 would happen and man those rams did just that you're right you got to get to this guy you got to pressure this guy get him off his spot everybody knows that but doing it knowing and doing it are two different things isaac what do you make about uh the play of von miller does he look to you now like vintage von miller or close to von miller yeah he looks he looks uh very fresh uh, looks like a guy who's playing with a purpose. Um, his pass rush are strategic. Uh, he's playing the run game really well. And, you know, like when I when the postseason started, I thought, you know, the Rams defense as a whole, the, the defensive unit, would look to Von Miller for, uh, you know, just to lean on him, uh, just to get reaction, just to get response from him. And uh, I think he's doing a great job leading the defense. And he's just causing havoc. I mean, you know, you can't afford to play him one-on-one. Uh, I think he has every move or pass rush in his toolbox from the swipe uh, to the double hand swipe to the up and under. And it's a beautiful thing to see, man, because it's like poetry in motion. Um, he can be physical, but at the same time, he's finessing a way that he can fool these 315-pound tackles uh, to do some, make them do some things that they're not normally used to doing. Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce is joining us on the program. So, Isaac, what about the flip side of the ball? What do you make of how that game played out, and in particular Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup connecting the way they did 
to with seconds to go to set up that game-winning field goal, the way they both came through late, and especially the quarterback. Well, you know what? I think it all trickles down from Sean McVay. I mean, things got chaotic. Uh, you, you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks that's ever played the game and Tom Brady uh, on the sideline. And, you know, I've seen that movie so many times, and I, I, I've never liked the ending. So just for the Rams to come out and just remain aggressive – uh, and not really just uh, rest your laurels on going into overtime and a coin flip. I think that was the right thing to do, just taking a shot down the field if it presented itself, and just, just the aggressiveness of it, man. I mean, you know, it, it had to be McVay calling the play and, and everyone agreeing to it. So, um, you know, Cooper Cup's been doing a great job, and just to get open on that last play for as big a play as it was, man, it was, it was awesome to see. Isaac Bruce joining us. I mean, Isaac, I talked about some of the numbers you put up, and they landed you in the Hall of Fame, and you've got a number of records still yet. He broke your single-season record for receptions and receiving yardage, though. Like, what makes him so special as a receiver, and what kind of thoughts do you have when you watch him play? Well, I always say, uh, you know, once a guy has it, uh, what I mean by that is that, you know, for a wide receiver to have it, that means he, he now has quarterback eyes. So he can uh, – he can – you know, read a defense. He can go pre-snap. Uh, he can manipulate. Um, he's faster than what people get him, give him credit for. He's very elusive than what a lot of people give him credit for. And I just think he's really strong in catching the football. He catches it in a crowd. And, you know, he, he, he plays at two speeds. That's one of the things that Tori and myself, we always, uh, you know, tried to make sure that we were doing. So it, it's, it's kind of like making the defensive back think that we're running full speed, but we're really not. And then once the ball gets in our hand, then we can we were able to turn it on, and he does that perfectly. Isaac Bruce joining us. I want to ask you about your career in a minute, but you mentioned Tory. I love Tory, man. I'm I'm a huge Tory fan. I'm just gonna say it. I was talking to him recently. He's a finalist for the Hall of Fame again. You're already in. What would you say, Isaac, to Hall of Fame voters who are deciding whether or not Tory is worthy and should be in the Hall of Fame? Well, you know the body of work comes up. Um, you know, you look at his draft spot where he was drafted. He was top, top ten draft pick sixth overall um i think he was a guy you know when you're drafted that high they look for you to be a starter not only a starter but a potential pro bowler and a potential all pro Uh, he was all of those things all decade team and he really just maximized his ability in the the position he was in um you're talking about a guy who had six consecutive 1300 yards receiving Hmm. you know in a dispensation where these safeties could knock your block off it's not like it was or, or like like it is now but it was a whole different era. So for him to have that level of production, man, I think it's very warranted of uh, Tory to be wearing a gold jacket. All right, so Isaac, to that point where it was a different era where guys could just knock your block off. When the Rams and Bucks met in the playoffs, you know, it's hard not to think of that great playoff game that these two teams played back in 1999, the best offense in the league going up against the best defense. As a wide receiver, what was it like for you to go over the middle against the likes of Derek Brooks, Hardy Nickerson, John Lynch, and the rest of that crew? Well, you know what? You prepared yourself during the week. I mean, we knew it was part of the game, catch or no catch. Uh, You're going to feel Hardy Nickerson. You're going to feel, I mean, Simeon Rice. You're going to feel Warren Sapp. Um, They're going to touch you up. So, um, you know, we're we're always thinking that our job, number one, is to catch and secure the football, and whatever happens after that happens. But these guys were, you know, they played their their, their positions, their jobs, their defense, better than a whole lot of teams I've ever seen played before. And just the unit itself, they probably have four Hall of Famers on that defense. And just those guys 
knit it together, man. It was a it was a stretch, and it was very strenuous to get every yard that we got. Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce joining us. All right, Isaac, so the Rams are going to face a 49ers team that has beaten them six straight times, including both times they met this season. When a team has a run like that, does it ever get in the guy's head? Do you ever just even privately think maybe they have our number? And then if so, what do you do with that? Like, what does L.A. have to do to turn this thing around quickly? Well, you do. You do think that. I, I felt like, uh, you know, the, the Rams family as a whole, that's, a, that's the alumni included. We're, start, we're starting to think that with the last game that we played. Uh, we felt like that going out on this, going out for this last game and, and playing this last regular season game versus uh, the 49ers, we had to jump on them and, and, and at least win this game. We, we didn't know that they would make it to the playoffs. We didn't really know that uh, they would have the success thus far that they've had in the playoffs and then have another opportunity to play them again. Yes, it's in your head. So to, to, to you know, wipe out those thoughts and get those, that thinking out of your mind, it's all about the preparation. It's all about reminding yourself who you are, how you've played all year, and the things that make you successful. A strong running game, having running attempts, going downhill, uh, falling forward when you finish, coming off the line of scrimmage for the offensive lineman, and just ruling and dominating that line of scrimmage which sets up everything else for us. So I think it'll be a great matchup, Jim, and um, I can't wait to see it. I, I think it'll be awesome. Sam, I can't wait. Isaac Bruce joining us really quickly. So in terms of that running game, I agree with you. Cam Akers, we'd all agree, is just an amazing story. An amazing story, but he had a rough game yesterday with a couple of fumbles. When you consider, Isaac, how Sean McVay likes to run the ball, you yourself just said the importance of running the ball as well. How do you think McVay will handle Akers this week? You know, I think he'll have the same level of production. I, I think Sony Michelle also, who ha, who's had a uh, quietly great season this year, will get more opportunities uh, to run the football. I think it'll be a balanced attack between those two. And uh, another thing that Cam Akers adds to that offense, his ability to uh, bump bump him out, run some routes, and catch the ball down the field. So um, I think I think those guys, and I think McVay's faith and confidence in those guys won't wane. Um, you know, it'll be one snap and clear. Last week is over, and we'll move forward to, uh, you know, creating and trying to dominate this line of scrimmage via the run game. Yeah, Isaac, you told a great story to The Athletic. You said that the night before you won the Super Bowl, Todd Light came to your room, and you guys were yeah. reminiscing about the season. And then, well, actually, I was going to say, but before he left, what did he say to you? <laughs> you know what? Uh, actually, in that meeting, we also talked about, you know, fin- finally overcoming uh, what the 49ers had had over us for a very long time in that same year. But before he left out of the room, you know, he kind of looked back at me and he said, Ike, we're world champions tomorrow, man. And uh, that was it, man. I agreed with him and and uh, it was fulfilled that, that very next night. See, what was he like, Todd, like to play with and oh, against man. in practice over the years? Oh, How man. much better did you make each other? Well, you talk about a, the person that helped with my development every day. Uh, being able to help me be a pro, number one. Number two, just just uh, introducing me to the physicality of what the NFL is all about. You know, as far as press man, uh, getting work on that every day. Uh, Todd Light was uh, a guy that helped not only develop me, but Tori at, when he came aboard. And, you know, you're talking about a guy who would have over 100 tackles uh, each year. I mean, in a league where a lot of cornerbacks just want to cover uh, he was a guy that would that rack up 100 tackles and would show up every Sunday. So um, one of my great friends, one of my great teammates on that team, Todd Light, uh, 
he was just a consummate pro, and I love that group. Isaac, one last thing about being a consummate pro, and you talked preparation a number of times in this conversation with me today. One of the things you talked about, during your career, you would write down goals. And I don't mean annual goals. I mean, you wrote down goals every morning, and then you wrote down goals at night. What was the thinking behind that process? Because I think that kind of put you ahead of your time. Well, I, I thought it was a great mental exercise for me and it really helped me to stay focused. Um, I can I can honestly say, I only fell asleep in a, in a team meeting, excuse me, in a wide receiver meeting out of 16 seasons one time. And I felt like just being able to get a game plan and really write and rewrite goals, it kind of kept me focused. And that was something that I like sharing with, 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 with new guys that came in, young guys that we drafted, Kevin Curtis's of the world, the Dane Lookers, uh, Tory Holt at, at one time, Sean, Sean uh, McDonald. Just sharing things like that, just be – active and be mentally prepared from that standpoint and we were putting spiritual laws into place and i felt like that helped me tremendously throughout my career yeah i can see it isaac what happened that one that one meeting in 16 years we were out the night before what happened <laughs> i think i think the guy leading the meeting at that time he was he was a little boring and i kind of <laughs> fell asleep on him and, uh, <laughs> you know i won't call any names but you know it is what it is it, it is what it is it's a one-off yeah. it's just a one-off he's the co-host of the ramblings podcast he's got his foundation the isaac bruce foundation he is a member of the pro football hall of fame class of 2020 a super bowl champ and all pro a four-time pro bowler isaac that was great appreciate you so good to get caught up with you man thank you very much for that no problem thanks jim Hey, you want a new podcast to look forward to every single week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you're most likely not just listening to The Daily Jungle, and that's totally fine. In fact, let me suggest a podcast that you should add to your list. It's The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, hostage negotiators, and more. Jordan is one of the goats when it comes to podcasting, and he has got one of the most highly rated self-development shows out there right now. Point blank, this dude is smart, he's funny, he is easy to listen to. You will find actionable advice that can improve your life directly. You cannot go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I haven't even gotten to Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay yet. I haven't even gotten to what went down in Nashville on Saturday yet. Why don't we do that for a minute? You know that football game and that near-death experience of one Joseph Lee Burrow? Seriously, if this were still back in the day and I still had my celebrity death pool, and yes, we did have one of those here in the jungle... If I still had my celebrity death pool and we were taking action on what celebrity and or athlete we thought we would die next or we thought would die next, one, I would take Rit. No offense, Pops. Two, we did do that back in the day. Thank you. If I, You're welcome. If I had a celebrity death pool, I know that my dude Joe would have been taking some serious action because my dude Joe was taking some serious physical punishment for real 
if the Cincinnati Bengals do not use every single dollar available and every single draft pick available in April to protect protect Joe Burrow, then we all riot, whether we're Bengal fans or not. I mean, right there on the spot, no questions asked. Every single resource has to go to protecting the franchise because there are beatdowns and then there are ass kickings and then there's what Joe Burrow experienced from that Titans pass rush. I mean, that bleep was downright criminal. Now, I like the Titans pass rush. I even hyped them leading into that game. But the Bengals' turnstiles up front, the Matadors, turn these dudes into this generation's fearsome foursome. They sacked Burrow not once, not two, not three, but nine times. Nine times. Nine times. Did I see Deacon Jones out there? Did I see Rosie Greer out there? Did I see Merlin Olsen, the only member of the fearsome foursome that would not come on this program? Did I see Lamar Lundy out there? Nine times. And it felt like they hit him another 99 times. I mean, there was some incredible play by young quarterbacks this weekend. And I'm not saying there wasn't, starting with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. But do not forget about Cool Joe. Do not forget about Cool Joe's game either. And Natty fan, side note, I don't want to disrespect your defense either and what they did because you guys answered the bleeping bell. You stepped the hell up and kept your guys in the game. An incredible showing, honestly. Props, big ups. But Burrow is the story. And yes, smart Alex, he didn't throw a touch. And he did throw a pick. And first off, that pick was not on him. It was on his running back. I mean, the ball did hit him in the worst place possible, his bleeping hands. Joe's greatness, though, was not in the stat sheet like it had been since early December, but in how cool, how tough, how unflappable this cat was. Every single quarterback in the history of football is a lesser quarterback when they get hit. That's a fact. Every single one. Except maybe Joe Burrow. Maybe. I mean, there's tough, and then there's Burrow tough. Hell, even Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers were a little rattled by the opposing pass rush they faced this weekend. But I didn't see Cool Joe lose his cool even once. Didn't blink even once. Didn't flinch even once. I mean, it was amazing. This guy was not impacted, not rattled by it, didn't get the happy feet, didn't lose patience, just stood in time and time and time again. Like the secret sauce of dusting a quarterback up and getting him off his game failed, I think, for the first time ever in the history of the league because they pounded this guy. And yet he just stood in and continued to stand in. And then he and his team made big plays when it mattered most, and they finally choked Tennessee out. I mean, how this guy didn't pick himself up off the ground one of the 60 times that he got knocked on his ass and didn't swing on his own offensive line or give his coaches the hands on the sideline for their lack of protection is is beyond me, especially as a young player. Never changed expression, never hung his head, body language didn't change. And by the way, who would have blamed the guy if it did? I wouldn't have. 
Nobody would have. But he never once pointed the finger. Not in-game and not after. This dude made history the wrong way. He tied an NFL playoff record in getting sacked nine times. This was also coming off a season where he was sacked in NFL most 51 times. And that was a season that was a year removed from him tearing his ACL. But in the process of this hit job, Cool Joe chose to make history also in the right way, in becoming the first quarterback to get sacked that many times and win a playoff game, in becoming the first quarterback in NFL history to lead his team to the championship round in their first two seasons. And afterwards, instead of raging, all this guy did was prop, or even instead of kind of taking a little victory lap, all he did was prop everybody else. All he did was prop his guys, starting with his kicker, who, by the way, may have as much swag as even the quarterback does. So he was talking to Brandon as he was going out to kick. He gave a little warm-up swing, and he said, ah, it looks like we're going to the AFC Championship right before he went out there to kick it. And when you have a kicker, I mean, we knew exactly what we had as soon as he walked into the building in camp, and we just saw how he carried himself. That's incredible. That really is incredible. I've talked to kickers on this show before. I'm kind of fascinated by kickers. I like kickers. I'm not one of those guys who has that stupid, lame, lazy take about kickers. I mean, they got a different skill set now, a different job. But this dude might be my new favorite kicker because he's got nads nearly the size of Burroughs. To put that out there and then clutch up and send the Bengals to their first AFC Championship game since Boomer, after going 3-for-3 in his playoff debut, that is next-level stuff. And Joe was not done spreading the love. He had a message for the entire world and those who are still not giving his guys the respect that he believes they have already earned. No, I'm, I'm tired of the underdog narrative. We're a really, really good team. We're here to, we're here to make noise. And you know, teams are going to have to pay attention to us. We're, like I said, a really good team with really good players and coaches, and we're, we're coming for it all. Hell yeah. How do you not respect that? Amazing. You know who aren't? However, frankly, I don't want to get on the wrong side of you, my man. You know who aren't? Let me be careful how I phrase this. Uh, I know it's going to alienate you, Joe, and I don't want to do that because I like you so much and respect you so much. I want to say, you know who aren't really good players? But I'll kind of side. I'll err on the caution of being conservative. Hey, Joe, you know who aren't great players? That turnstile you have in front of you. However, the fact that you are hyping them up and you have them and you have their backs and you're embracing your inner Conor McGregor with them, I think it's pretty awesome. What a freaking leader, man. You can't lead unless you're enormously tough, and this guy's that, but what an amazing leader for a young player. And you can't lead unless you make big plays in big moments, and he's done that his whole life. This dude is incredible, incredible leader. Like, there were some amazing performances from the quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, this weekend, and the future of the league is in great shape at that position. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, they deserve all that love. But I'm telling you, you put cool bleeping Joe in that same conversation. He's in the conversation. Don't tell me he's not. He's in the conversation. Because not only is he about as talented as they come, you cannot rattle this guy. You cannot break this guy. Go ahead. Try him. Try him. 
The Titans did and didn't come close to making this guy flinch, let alone having this guy tap. I ah, said like it. Looks like we're going to the AFC Championship. I said it Friday. I love Joe Burrow. That doesn't mean I'm picking them, but hell, the fact that they're in the AFC Championship game, the Bengals, and this guy did what he did, taking that beating and taking the beating that he took in the regular season and taking that beating after tearing his ACL, and this guy's back already, playing the way he is, not playing afraid, not playing conservatively, tucking and running when he has to. This dude is special. This dude's different. This cat is just different. You know, different like Josh Allen's different. Different like Patrick Mahomes is different. The Bengals are different, yo. The Bengals are in KC 60 minutes from a Super Bowl. Can you imagine? Leonard Hamilton is my guest. Leonard, before we get into the season, really quickly, how are you doing? How is your life right about now? (laughs) Well, my my life, Jim, is always centered around uh, what we do with our team. And we're all involved here. We have an extremely different type of team than we've had in the last maybe eight or nine years at Florida State. We're dominated more by first-year players than we are returning experienced players. So it's been it's been kind of an up-and-down ride. We are getting better. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But uh, we got to continue to keep improving so we can have some postseason life for us at the end of the season. Leonard Hamilton joining us. In fact, why don't we just talk about that for a moment? You had three draft picks after last season, including Scotty Barnes, who went number four. You had two of the top 11 picks the year before. You've had at least one first-round pick in each of the last three years, yet here you are, and although I hear what you're saying, it's a different kind of year, you are on top of the conference right now. How are you able then to keep reloading year in and year out? Well, this year has been a little more challenging than the ones in the past because we had two youngsters that uh, we thought we we didn't anticipate losing uh, last year. That was uh, Ricard Gray and and, and Balsa, proper feature. And so, so there's no doubt that uh, we we kind of regrouping a little bit right now. So the, to be where we are, it's, it's amazing that we are, are somewhere near the top, let alone being on top of, of the league at this point. But we have 12 more hard-nosed, tough games to, to go in our league, and we we got to make sure we stay focused and win our share of them. Leonard Hamilton is joining us. All right, so I do want to talk to you about your team, but one, one more thought about a guy who was there, Scotty Barnes. He's averaging 15 points, eight rebounds, and more than three assists as an NBA rookie. You and I have talked about him in the past, but how do you explain him already playing at this level against grown men at just age 20? Well, there's no doubt that we – when we recruited him, we that was the plan. We told him that we felt very comfortable that he could be a point guard or a point forward or a point two guard, however they're playing them with the Wizards. But I still think it's best basketball is ahead of him, but we anticipated him making this type of uh, progress. He's a unique and special young man. He has a competitive spirit. He has a high IQ. He's skilled and athletic. He's 6'9", with like a 7'2 wingspan and probably like a 40-inch vertical. He, he tips out in like 12-3, some, some ridiculous athleticism that he has in his body. But he's a pass-first guy. He's an unselfish guy, and he loves playing defense. Mentally, he's tough as nails. He has all the ingredients 
you know, to be a, a big-time NBA player. Leonard Hamilton is joining us. All right, on that topic of mental toughness, last week's win over Duke in overtime was your 13th straight overtime win, which extends an NCAA record that you already owned. I know you're not looking to make it about you, but at a certain point, it's no longer about luck or confidence that your teams play so well in tight games and always have and in overtime. Like, is that something that you're teaching? Is it something you're recruiting? Where, how do you explain that kind of success in those situations? I have great assistant coaches. Stan Jones been with me 26 years. Uh, Carlton Young, I got young man that I recruited out of high school, and Steve Smith, my weight training conditioning guy. You know, we, we, we all on the same page, been together for a long, long time. And I think that we work on situations a lot in practice where once we get in games, we, we've been over them so many times in, 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 in our practice sessions that uh, kids don't get nervous and make good decisions. But there's no doubt that, that uh, uh, we've been very fortunate to win a lot of close games. Uh, and, and once we get in those situations, our kids are pretty relaxed because we, we have gone over so much of that stuff in our daily practices. That makes sense to me. Florida State head coach Leonard Hamilton is joining us. You know, I had Ed Cooley from Providence on the show recently, and he said that from the very start of the season, he's been talking to his guys about Selection Sunday and making sure they do what they have to do to be a part of that field. Is that something you talk to your team about, or do you take a different approach as it relates to that? I, I, I take a totally different approach. I worry about that which I can control. I can't worry about March and, and, and January. I worry... Uh, the day is Monday, and I'm worried about Monday, and I'm going to try to be a little bit better Monday than I was on Sunday, and I'm going to try to be a little bit better on Tuesday than I was on Monday. I, I can, I only concern myself with that which I can control. If I get too far ahead of myself, then, then I can't do anything about the future. But what I want to do is make sure I get better today. And, and, and I'm, I'm too young to be looking past anything or, to, or today's practice. Well, Georgia Tech, uh, we lost to them last year in the ACC tournament championship game uh they they we have not they play a very interesting style different style of ball and so we need with this team but having seven six or seven first year guys i need to be on point with what's important that's preparing for our next game yeah i think that's really <laughs> interesting too and his approach is working for him yours is for you everybody's got a different approach leonard hamilton is joining us i know i know exactly what you're saying though especially with a young team now you and i have talked about joe b hall over the years he passed away earlier this month. What kind of thoughts and emotions did you have when you heard that news? I can't tell you how emotional I was. And I, 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 I kept going from crying to uh, laughing and, and, and remembering all the good times to crying again. And I, I, I'm so fortunate that the week before he passed, a few days before he passed, I was able to FaceTime him with his son and, we reminisced and laughed and joked a little bit. He couldn't talk very much, but he, but every time I would tell him uh, some things, I'd say, "We get ready to play Louisville. We're gonna have to beat him up for you." And, and he was, he, I, I'd get that smile on his face, and you know, he, as much as he could, but he couldn't, he couldn't talk very much uh, because obviously he had some issues with his throat. But Joe B. hired me, Jim, when I was 26 years old. And can you imagine? I'm 26. And I am the assistant coach at the University of Kentucky. He rescued me because I had, I had become disenchanted with, with basketball and had took a job with Dow Chemical in Charlotte, North Carolina. And my first day on the job, Joe B. called me and asked me, did I want to come in for an interview? And I jumped right on it. He changed my life, rescued me from being, making, 
that have from me making an emotional bad decision. It's an amazing story, right? Leonard, really quickly, I mean, you've made the point that he was one of the strongest guardians of Kentucky basketball. Numerous analysts and former Wildcat players credit Joe and you with changing Kentucky basketball. How would you then describe his legacy? Well, there's no doubt that he he had a, a very challenging task uh, replacing uh, Adolph Ruff, one of the winningest coaches in the history of college basketball. And then that was at the beginning where uh, the, the SEC was slow, you know, to to bring uh, African American basketball players into the SEC. But Joe Hall being at Kentucky, and and him being aggressive from that standpoint, uh, opening the doors for 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 for, for African American youngsters, made it all right for all the other SEC schools, and it, and it did more for integration in the South than people might would imagine. I appreciate your thoughts on him. He is the head basketball coach of Florida State, as I mentioned, not just that, but the winningest coach in Florida State history. Florida State is in first in the ACC with a young team. They're at Georgia Tech on Wednesday. Good friend of the program. He is Leonard Hamilton. Leonard, great to have you back. I appreciate you. I appreciate our conversations. You know this. Great talking to you, as always. Thanks so much. Thank you so very much, Jim. Let's go to Medford, Oregon. Get a phone call in here or more. Jack in Medford. Hi, Jack. How are you? Hey, Jim. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, I'm uh, living here in Oregon, transplanted from Crapchester. Um, I'm a long-time listener of your show. You are a great host, and I appreciate the love that you always give and respect to the Buffalo Bills. You know, I've been, I was sitting in the stadiums in 1971, 1972. Didn't really get what, I think Lou Saban was our coach. We went like 1-13 and 4-9, and then 1973 we get O.J. Simpson. And, uh, you know, he rushes for 2,000 yards in a, in, in a single season. His quarterback was Joe Ferguson, and we were kind of put on the map. And what makes Buffalo a great, great town is the fact of the matter and why there is the Buffalo Mafia is because there was nothing else back then you know you had horse racing some 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 boxing and you had uh, the buffalo bills and it was an event for a small market team a small city that packed in syracuse niagara falls of course buffalo rochester you know everybody supported everybody supported and 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 that that's what you had it was a depressed area you know xerox kodak they all left the place hell everybody even knows that the the waterfalls the best part of the waterfalls are in canada you know, O.J. Simpson, uh, you, you see how that people remember him now for the, the white Bronco. All right. And then you're kind of always waiting for something to happen. I don't know why it happened to the Buffalo Bills, four straight Super Bowls. You got to have a thick skin to be a Bills fan. But, you know, it's God family and, and the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that's just the way it is. I have generations of grandchildren now that are all Bills fans, whether it's a curse. I don't know. But, um, man, we're there. I'm actually still in the same spot that I was last night, sitting outside in my bar, frozen, you know, staring at a blank TV right now. You know, I wasn't going to get on the radio today, but I just had to. And um, this is actually the reason I made this call. But unless you sat in that stadium freezing your ass off, and the reason we stand there is half the time is because we can't bend our knees because they're freaking frozen. All right. So, you know, you put in that time, you put in that pain, and it's a serious, serious love that this city has 
for this Buffalo Bills team, which is a totally different team. Can't be compared with the four Super Bowl losses, only in the fact that for some reason we just can't get get over the hump. But with this team, we will. I wish we hadn't had that little meltdown. How much do you miss Tredavious White? You know, I think quite a bit. Anyhow, not taking away anything from uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Darius Butler, I agree with everything he said. Jack, I'm going to jump you know, in on you only because, like, you're good, dude. You're good. I know if I don't jump in, my man, you're going to go for another hour. Rick in Buffalo. Brother, what's going on? Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier are lucky I don't own the Bills because I would have fired both their sorry asses before the overtime coin flip. How two alleged defensive geniuses could be so ill-prepared at the end of regulation will piss me off till the day I die. I was a freshman in high school when Norwood went wide right, Jim. But trust me, this was a thousand times worse because it was totally preventable. How two alleged defensive gurus could let Kelsey and Hill run free in the middle of the field will piss me off till the day I die. And I know saying someone sucks isn't a take, but how else can one describe Tremaine Edmonds? It doesn't matter how gifted you are athletically, when your football IQ is in the single digits. I know you traded up to get them, Bean, but can you finally cut your losses and get us a real middle linebacker this offseason? And while there were no silver linings last night, Jim, I'm glad the football world got to see who the league's best quarterback is. And that dude wears number 17 in red, white, and blue. Another perfect playoff game. This time in a hostile environment. Zero credit to Patrick Mahomes. Pretty easy to light it up when there's no pass rush, no coverage, and no tackling, you friggin' frog. And nice to see Vic finally realized he's no longer a viable caller and instead sending those fire tweets. The Bills may have lost yesterday, but Vic loses every day. But nice to see you're watching the NFL again, victim. Way to prove your point about not supporting the, quote, Democratic League. But don't worry, everyone. He said he's watching for free online. Not surprising, because this sponge gets everything for free. Except sex, of course. Spending his monthly allowance on NoCal's finest heifers. Now back to the basement, you go, bitch boy. And last thing, Jim, I saw Ritt tweeted out he feels sorry for Buffalo. Gee, thanks, old man, but not as sorry as we feel for you, you loser. War gave Davis's monster performance last night. War bringing back Beasley for another year. Thanks for the therapy session, Jim. I'm not sure about the bills, but I'm sure as hell not going anywhere. I'm out. Good night now!